Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit agencyrevolution.com and click media to explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, everybody. Michael Jans, co-founder of Agency Revolution. Absolutely delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast presented by Agency Revolution creators of Attract. Attract is a, well, it's a powerful marketing suite that it makes it easy for you to spend less time on the drudgery and the details of marketing, more time spending the stuff that you love to do. Uh, it gives you the technology and the content that you need to find your ideal prospect and turn them into your best customer. If you haven't done it lately, do yourself a favor. I'm serious about this. Visit agencyrevolution.com and request a demo and discover why they are creators of nationally award-winning software. Again, uh, I am excited about this conversation, and I think you will be too. Uh, my guest is Alan Ringvold. Alan is the CEO of Relativity6, um, a, a relatively new insurtech startup, and one that uh, has a promise of cracking the code on something that I think has been a dream of agents for a long, long time, which is to know more about their customers. And how does he do that? By combining internal data, in other words, what you already know or what's already evident in your agency management system, with external data, things that you didn't know. And when you put the two together, well, I'll let Alan explain it in this podcast. Um, so in, in our conversation, he talks about how blending internal and external data reveals insights that... Well, that no doubt you are missing with your existing customer base um, and why uh, management systems miss so many critical pieces of, of the customer relationship and how agents can capture more of that holy grail of customer lifetime value by tapping into available data sources. So for those of you who love growth and for those of you who care about um, protecting and connecting more deeply with your customers. I think you're going to really like this conversation. Um, really quickly, a couple of housekeeping uh, details. Uh, number one, as always, first of all, I'm super grateful for your support. We are approaching 225,000 listens to our podcast series, and I'm sure we'll do some terrific celebration when we hit 250. Um, you can help us because I want to reach the broadest audience that we can if we've earned a five-star review. If you take a moment to give us one, I would be super-duper grateful. Uh, if there's something I need to do to earn a five-star review, reach out and let me know. Uh, or if there's anything you want to share with me about the podcast series or a podcast or a guest that you would like to recommend, michael at michaeljans.com or, boom, my next announcement, connect with me on LinkedIn. And you can also then message me on LinkedIn. Pretty reliable way to communicate with me. 
Um, and then finally, I want to say thank you to so many for um, comments and questions about my upcoming um, live course, uh, Marketing the Modern Age of Insurance. If you've got questions about it, if you're curious about what's working in agency growth, then you can register for free live Zoom call with me and we can talk and I'll lay out uh, the 12 tools that I'll be sharing in the course, but also tools that are just working to help agencies grow. Um, register for that. And this is easy to remember, www.michaeljanslive.com. So now, uh, without further ado, uh, it is a pleasure to um, invite you to listen to this conversation that I have with CEO of Relativity 6, Alan Ringwald. Alan Ringwald. Thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good, Michael. Thank you so much. Super excited to be here. Um, well, this is going to be a fun conversation. Um, uh, see, it does seem like, uh, uh, it, though you and I have just gotten to know each other in the last couple of months or so, yeah. um, uh, I've gotten to know what you're all about, and I've really gotten to know your product, and, and I'm really quite impressed with what you're doing. So, boom. Um, I, you're, I you're making me you. blush. You're making me blush over here. Uh, uh, but, okay. uh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> kind of you. Kind of you to say. Okay. Uh, well, after after this, the hard questions come. So the blushing okay. is over. Okay. 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 Throw some real curveballs at you. And the first one is, who are you? Oh, man. And, that, and how did, that is how a did, <laughs> How did you get to be doing what you're doing today in the insurance industry? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so just quickly, so I, I grew up in Boston, so kind of East Coast guy, but I, I live in LA now because the weather is unfriendly for a lot of the year in Boston. I love it, but um, need, need say no more. Okay. Got it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I, I grew up there. I, I went to college undergrad uh, in the Boston area. And that's actually when I started my first company. It kind of, I, I cut my teeth pretty early in the whole entrepreneurship thing. Um, ironically enough, the first company I started uh, was one of the best. Uh, and I've started many over the years and, it, it was almost like uh, a pretty easy start. And I thought all startups would be like that. Uh, I was certainly very wrong. Uh, so super wrong assumption. <laughs> but, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was I know, We, we, we often judge our future, our future success based on our past success. And sometimes there's a disconnect. Sometimes it actually has to do with uh, core, core idea strategy and execution and other things that are outside of our control. So, so exactly. I am curious because I know your current company. What, what was yeah. that first company you started when you were in? What was it? An undergrad school? Yeah, I was a, I was a sophomore, so I was like nineteen. Um, uh -huh. Pretty simple. The concept was I was noticing that you know, like students were uh, having trouble with like laundry and uh, like doing their laundry with getting groceries delivered, and they were spending all this money on all these services. And I thought like the core idea was. There are so many great vendors, like literally right circling this school. Why is there no platform that's consolidating all of them together to make make it easy for the student to have choices and kind of like streamline the process of of uh, buying things online? I'm aging myself right now, but e-commerce was not actually a thing uh, when that was going on. So it was effectively one of the first e-commerce like service based platforms. When you, when you say yeah. when you say you're aging yourself here, or yeah, or, yeah come, get out of here. <laughs> it's all it's all relevant. It's all relevant. I'll, I'll have Adrian uh, edit that part out. 
Okay. So, um, uh, all right. So, so from that, so you went from that, uh, that entrepreneurial spark that, that kind of lit the entrepreneurial spark and you thought, you know, this is cool. Can't lose. So at some point, uh, then you went to graduate school at MIT. That's right. That's right. And and what is it that you studied there? Yeah. So I went to business school, um, at MIT, but I'll get to that in a second, Michael. There's a there was a journey to get there. It wasn't your classic undergrad and then waltz into business school kind of deal. Um, I went through a, a couple uh, painful, interesting experiences along the way um, to to get there. But um, so so that was my first company. I sold it. I was again back to the theme of your first one. You think it's like super fun and easy and cool and no problems. I ended up selling it actually just like right after I graduated college. So I was like, oh, wow, I'm an entrepreneur. I know what I'm doing. Um, but I actually ended up taking my ne- like my next move was actually going to Google. I ended up uh, moving from Boston, going to Mountain View. This is like, you know, 2005, six ish era, era. So Google was still kind of like a newer company, if you can believe it. Um, totally chaotic, like got in there. It's really interesting, but it was my first kind of move out of out of the East Coast and realizing the West Coast was mm-hmm. uh, better in some ways, uh, weather-wise at least. Um, but uh, yeah, so did that for about four years. Um, it's really cool, really interesting. Uh, but after a while, you just kind of realize, man, like I'm in a really big place, and like every year there was more and more people joining the company and bigger layers, like between you and you know the higher ups and. That wasn't as exciting to me. So um, one day I get a phone call from this uh, um, this prominent guy in Boston who's te- who tells me this concept of starting a healthy candy brand, if you can imagine. So his concept was kids are eating poison um, and there's no better alternative out in the marketplace that's going mass market. So his idea was, could we create like a cool uh, confections brand that competed with Snickers, Reese's, M&M's? I'd known this guy for years. He pitched me and within a week and a half I'd moved. Like broke up broke up with my ex my girlfriend, moved to moved back to Boston and then like helped this guy start this company. It was called Unreal Candy. It was a it was a crazy experience actually. So like with that one what is was it, yeah. It's so so well, I I I have to ask what happened Please. to the candy company is it It's still around. What happened was we had so much traction before we launched, we had like name a celebrity, they were involved in the company, we actually sold into about 30,000 doors. So like every Target, every Walmart, every CVS, like all of those things, it was, it was kind of like a a big pre launch. And then we realized how hard it was to actually sell stuff once you get into a store retails, pretty hard, uh, which was some which was an interesting experience, because Really, like the competition starts when you get into the store. That's not the way that we were thinking. We celebrated when we got like those big contracts with those big box yeah. retailers. But if you can't get the sell through, that's a problem. So we didn't do enough market testing. We kind of relied on celebrity stuff and and flashy stuff. And so it was all sizzle, very little steak in the uh, beginning there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, so, it's, 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 yeah. it really all comes down to market traction and is a customer going to buy it, right? So when they're exactly. looking at a Snickers bar, a Snickers bar next to your healthy candor bar, uh, I think I'll just have one more Snickers bar. Okay. So, exactly. Exactly. So you went to, uh, so then you, at some point you went to business school at MIT. Yeah, um, that's right. So not, not engineering. 
not engineering. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of like, uh, an, uh, I'm, I'm good enough to be a little bit dangerous, not all the way, but I really wanted to focus on like, you know, everything related to mainly, honestly, like understanding customer lifetime value. That was something that had always kind of plagued me since my days with my first company of really getting good about understanding LTV. I thought it was important. Um, but I wanted to like my purpose for going to business school genuinely was to try to understand, you know, and bring some technology to this LTV problem. Uh, well, that's a really interesting thing that you raised, and it's uh, not the direction that I had planned or really even intend on taking yeah. this, this podcast conversation. But like, uh, li lifetime value is one of the great uh, sort of underused principles and strategies in the independent insurance agency system. I think people capture a lot of value by the nature of the system. But, um, yep. you know, this is a conversation that I have with the marketplace and with my clients is how can we increase lifetime value um, in in this system um, several ways and it's not hard and the return uh, on on the small investments needed to increase lifetime value are huge That's so right. yeah now interestingly if you um, if you proper I'm sure you learned this at MIT you dive into like formulas for uh, customer lifetime value they can really be remarkably complex right throwing Absolutely. in interest rates and future inflation rates and, yep. you know, changes in cost for product and supplies, but, right. you know, or the, but you can also really boil it down to something that's useful. It is exactly. in most cases, just as useful to the average entrepreneur where yes. they, you know, where we can take, uh, let's say years of client retention times revenue per uh, client. And, you know, we start arriving at a number that's yeah. like, Oh, that, like if I tweak this and this, that's a really significant change. Absolutely. And, okay. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I generally don't lean towards the MIT formulas for uh, <laughs> lifetime value. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think you can strip out the, Oh, kind of the advanced sophisticated stuff and get to the core and realize, well, what I want are, Clients who give me more money over time. Sure. And so I no. get more money every year and I keep the client more years. Boom. That's a really healthy way. And, and remarkably, um, the, the, the delta between like a, the highly loyal client who gives you, you know, maximum customer lifetime value and like in an NPS score, the mm -hmm. neutral client or the detractor is huge. That's right. No. In, well, in lifetime value. Huge. Yeah. yeah not, absolutely. Yeah. Not, not like, 10% or 20%, like 700%, you know, absolutely. it's a, a, remarkable and not that hard to achieve. Okay. So, um, that was my soapbox. No, that was it. That was a, that was a great soapbox. I, so, I, can hey, I, great can talking I to you. Yeah. Great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, can, I, so, can I get some yeah. room on the soapbox? Cause I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. You. Okay. but, uh, but, you know, one thing that you said was, so it is complicated the way that like, like in the back end of like what we do to arrive at understanding LTV, lifetime value, mm -hmm. but the concept's actually really simple. And, you know, this is, this was the crux of, of this company that, that I started um, that I'm working on now. And that was that, uh, you know, LTV, like you said, in general is pretty uh, static in nature, um, generally, right? Like, yes, like you can add in, like you were saying, like those variabilities on interest rates and pricing and all that. But in general, we've noticed historically, it, it's pretty, pretty linear. But the reality is that you or me or, you know, companies are constantly evolving, constantly changing in time. 
And what we noticed was that the big issue was, was there was no good system to calibrate for the way that either people or companies move. So that's really, that was the baseline idea of like, how do we create a system that can start mimicking or understanding how a person, you know, goes through different life stages or how a company goes through different growth stages. So what we did was we blended internal transaction data, which is ultimately the truth, right? What's more true than what somebody purchased? So that's a really important piece of information for us. But we blend it with about 6 yeah. billion external data points to try to contextualize each one of those purchasing decisions. So when somebody in a moment in time decided to renew something, what was going on in their world at that moment in time? And can we find any kind of causal relationship between the external event that happened and their decision making to either renew, endorse something, get another product, that kind of deal? So that's that. That's the concept of what we uh, well, were. Well, I have about. to ask. What, what what did you discover? This is a this is a, a fascinating journey. What did you find out? Yeah, I mean, what we found out is that you can be pretty accurate about understanding someone's intrinsic value in a moment in time. So really, at the end of the day, we we realize that you can value people completely differently based on understanding the blend of not only how are they benchmarked against other current customers but also how are they potentially impacted by a future event or current event? Like what, so, what might that future or current event be that would impact a, a renewal decision? Yeah, like a financial market event. Think about what's happening now, yeah. like, like with COVID today versus what's gonna happen with, you know, once we're out of it a little bit, how does travel look? How, you know, so if you're in the travel industry, or like take a basic example, like a hair salon. If you guys can see me now, like I've obviously haven't been to uh, any sort of hair salon or barbershop in too long of a time, but all of that's going to open right up once. Like I'm dying, once I get my second shot, I'm, I'm scheduling that barbershop appointment to trim this beard. So like, so like understanding and, and predicting movement based on either market events, whether it could be a weather event, news event, economic, things like that. All right. So then that uh, is that a segue into relativity six? It doesn't have, you know, definitely don't uh, don't need to, to go there exactly. But yes, like that's I think like in general, a trend that we're seeing, whether it's with relativity six or just brokers in general, is is this concept of how do I maximize my current customers um, and, and the market force behind that. But what we're seeing is uh how much more competition there is on net new like net new customers there's it's a, it seems to be a, you know and, and look you heard from my background i'm not a broker my mom wasn't a broker my dad wasn't a broker so you know i'm coming into this with some fresh eyes but mm -hmm. what i've observed and what my company has observed is that the the challenges that seemingly didn't exist before on acquiring new customers and the challenges that exist of understanding, is that new customer going to be valuable or not? So what Relativity 6 focuses on instead is let's look at your current book and let's start really understanding how valuable is each one of these customers. And not only can we understand about their like potential to re be retained and persist, but what else might those customers actually need based on all these extra data points that exist out in the world but are not being uh, utilized as much by the broker space. Okay, got it. All right. Yeah. So uh, your your story uh, has a kind of a seamless sequence to it. 
I, and so I understand because yeah. in full disclosure to the listeners, I've seen your product and I've seen um, the direction that it's going. And it, it clearly strikes me as a, a tool to crack the code on uh, maximizing customer lifetime value for, with existing. Okay. That's the so, hope. Yeah, exactly. That's the hope. All righty. So, um, so here, so here's what I'm curious about. I, I mean, obviously, as a young entrepreneur, before you started this, you had a lot of different directions to go. Yeah. And now yeah. Uh, you've chosen, you, you examined this industry. Yes. You've chosen to participate in this industry. Yeah. You must have seen something. Uh, you must have seen an opportunity. You must have seen yes. perhaps changes or trends and forces that are shaping or reshaping the industry. Yep. What did you and what do you see happening in the industry that's particularly fascinating right now? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll preface it by saying when I started Relativity 6, it was much more of a generalized LTV platform that we built and we were searching for an industry. So we went through retail, finance, aviation, and then about two and a half years ago is when we actually had a pretty serendipitous meeting with someone at Willis Towers Watson who had uh, seen our... They'd seen our technology, uh, uh, this guy, Brent Lehman, he was, he's currently still our champion. He looked at it. He said, I have a small business unit that absolutely needs uh, what you're doing here. So he kind of introduced us to this, you know, to the broker world, honestly, in general, and specifically the issues that live within particularly small commercial, where there's obviously like a lot of great opportunities for revenue, but prioritization is a huge issue. It's hard to understand how to serve that that type of segment um, with any kind of handhold, like any kind of personalization, just like dealing with small commercial. Like, so that's one force that we were introduced to organically, right? Um, so in, in general, prioritization, understanding how valuable my customer is going to be is, is, is something that, that we've observed in the space, which is why we focus so much on how do we help agencies grow organically. Um, so that that that's how that started. But a um, couple other things that we're seeing that like really interesting. One is there's a lot more guys and girls that look like me. Maybe not like physically, but the concept of like startups, tech people, non brokers coming into the space and seeing how they can apply their technology to insurance. Insurance is intimidating. Right. Like if you're not in this space, uh, it, it's tough to start contextualizing it and understanding how you can add value. But even to, yeah, like you, where you, we... you got to really you got to really want to jump the fence to be to, to be an outsider and want to want to get into this space because there are the, the, it's sophisticated, complicated, um, cumbersome, uh, regulated, in, you know, 50 different ways. So there. Yeah, there are complications about getting in. Exactly. Uh, but A lot of you. Yeah, you saw an opportunity. I saw the opportunity, and and I think our biggest opportunity is not only like uh, current customer growth maximization. And look, we're Michael, we're not the only ones doing that. It's it seems to be trending up that brokers are interested in companies like ours that do that type of stuff. But you know, we definitely feel like the big pain that technology can solve for is on the longer tail, where you have many customers that you don't have the ability to really understand much about each one of them individually, but AI yeah, be, and because, uh, let, yeah. let me uh, jump in and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but oh, I want to make sure we understand that one. 
yeah. um, in terms of understanding them. <clears throat> so if, if so, for example, if there's a book of business with a lot of small commercial lines, yep. I think what you're saying is that the the commission is so small in so many cases that you just it does not justify the manual labor, the the uh, the investment, the reaching out, the conversations um, on on an individual basis that you know that can give you the return on that kind of investment, unless there are shortcuts. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And so frequently, yeah, uh, um, frequently, what happens in a lot of small commercial books is they'll they'll jump into the book yep. uh perhaps you know if it's a smart agency they'll use a marketing automation platform and nurture those relationships and right. they'll take good care of them when they have an inbound call right uh but they won't be um uh really personalizing and uh, uh diving deep into the like uh delivering a a a, a fully uh executed risk management program for each one exactly so, Okay. Exactly. So, so you saw that as an opportunity, like, because, I you know, I think that's been a kind of a complaint about the industry to some extent, a lot of, well, um, I, I recall a study that came out a few years ago that said that 60% of small business owners would be willing to leave this system mm. because they don't believe that they get any value from their broker other than the purchase of a policy. Right. No, exactly. So, exactly. So it sounds like sounds like you saw that as not just an opportunity, but or not just as a problem, but an opportunity that could be solved. Exactly. And, and you know where it really like the the light bulb moment went off, like what really blew all of our minds here at Relativity Six, is when we had an actual a broker walk us through his instance of his AMS. I'm not going to say which one, uh, but like <laughs> he went through it, and when we looked at the small commercial, or we just looked at that. All he could really see without spending a lot more time was business name, address of that business, and the policy purchasing history of that business. That does not say much, right? So if you have like a, like yeah. a, one, if the business name is like Michael's Barbershop, right? Like, is it a tiny little mom and pop? Like, or, you know, are you doing it out of your garage and whatever? Or is it like a, a bigger, like fancier barbershop in a fancy part of town and Maybe they like are thinking of like serving liquor and like making it more like cool like that. Like you don't know. You really have no idea. But there's a lot of external data out there that can help augment the way that you look at those customers. And the other big key here is industry isn't something that's easy to understand off the bat, it seems like. Where so it's not it's not like you can immediately detect what subsector each of one of your small businesses is in at the broker level. So we've created some technology around being able to detect that uh, that very specific NACE code just based on business name and address. And and just to give you a sense of, of how the logic of the system works is, it, you know, it looks at each business name, it finds the right subsector NACE code, and then it does a lot of external data exploration to say, you know, if it's a, let's say it's like Michael's farm, what kind of farm is it? Are you doing corn? Are you doing wheat? Like all so, and then by understanding of the type of farming it is, we can understand how is that industry doing right now, and that gives us a really good feel mm -hmm. for how those small businesses could be performing. Got it. All right. Yeah. So you so you saw an industry with um, uh, data, 
Yes. Uh, the, it, let, let me see if I got this right. You saw an industry with data. It was, in many cases, insufficient data. Yes. You saw an industry with customers, and uh, there were customer relationships that were uh, not optimized and not maximized. Um, and, um, and, and you thought, well, there's a problem that can be solved. Exactly. Uh, did, I'm, so I'm curious before I kind of move on to the next section, did sure. you, or uh, do you see other like trends and forces that are making this an interesting industry in which to work right now? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, again, like what, what I've noticed from the many broker conversations I have is just how how little technology they're surrounded by. So it, it definitely feels underserved, but I'll caveat that. Um, you can be inundated with technology for technology's sake. And that's that, that actually, I fear the insurance industry going that route where they get, you know, it gets caught up in buzzwords and like shiny new objects and doesn't yeah, focus on, on value added tech. And there's, those are two totally different things from my experience. Uh, okay. Well, let's, let's jump on that one for a moment. Sure. Um, so, well, for, that's a real problem. Um, and I know that, you know, we're certainly not the only industry where lots of entrepreneurs and lots of venture capital wanted to create shiny new things. And some of those shiny that's new right. things are things of real value. And some of them are glitter. Um, <clears throat> so this is, this is, I ask this question a lot. I'd like to get your perspective on this. Sure. Having sold, having sold technology, yeah. Um, and over the years developed a sales process that was uh, finally kind of got traction and cracked the code on it. Yep. Uh, I, I never lost sight of the fact that for the most part, the, um, the segment that we were selling to didn't, didn't have a buying process that was nearly as advanced or sophisticated as our, I mean, cause, mm -hmm. cause we, we were selling, you know, like all day long, multiple people all day long, and they were only yeah. buying technology periodically. Right. So for and so you you have already expressed a concern that people would be inundated and grabbing shiny new things and those shiny new things may not have value. What would you say to the agency principal who who now is living in that world and they're de frankly they're dealing with probably inbound calls every single yep. day from various tech vendors. That's right. How, how do they distinguish the shiny new things that are of value from those that are of lesser value? Yeah, I mean, it's as, I think it's as simple as really understanding, but before you engage a, a tech company or any, any outside vendor like that is deeply understand the problem that you really want to have solved. And the more that you can define that, the better, because otherwise you can, you're going to leave it to a startup that, again, like they could be technology for technology's sake versus optimizing for a specific output. Um, and, and it sounds simple, but being committed as an agency owner to solving a very tangible problem and then seeing how technology can solve it is the right way as opposed to being like, whoa, I heard artificial intelligence is like really useful. So like, let's talk to this AI company and they're going to, and also like there's an expectation sometimes that your tech vendor is going to figure it out for you versus, you know, really diving in with them, like getting your hands dirty and like, figuring out specifically how to solve your problem. I think like so many pilots fail, so much time is wasted with things not being completely defined, expectations being set, not only not only from the agency, but the, you know, there's a, a big issue on the tech side where they promise the world and then get in and then don't deliver. And, and that's not good for the ecosystem or for anybody in general. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. But that, that's part of life. That happens. Okay. It does. So, um, yeah. Let me, let me ask you a question. I'm, I'm curious what your perspective is on this. Sometimes um, consumers yep. don't perceive the problem. Don't perceive, um, Oh, you know, the, the, um, the situation that they're in as uh, problems in the same way that the vendors do. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you're with a company uh, that, uh, and you've got it, you've got a product that can increase customer lifetime value. Uh, when I was with and started agency revolution, it was essentially the same thing. Uh, we, we could increase the depth and the length of relationships with the existing customer base. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it's quite likely that, um, you know, if you asked an agent, like right now, what's the biggest problem you're facing? They're not thinking, how can I maximize uh, lifetime value for my small commercial lines book of business? And yet the opportunity that's there could potentially be huge. Right. Um, right. So, and, you know, their problem might be, you know, Sally just quit and I've got to go find a new CSR and, totally. you know, on and on. Like the, the, the whirlwind of day-to-day -day operations often shields where the you know what you and i would describe as the problems are in a business yes right yeah um, okay i'm just throwing that out I, I don't know if you've got a reflection on that one or not but no i you're, you're absolutely right i mean that's the challenge of somebody like me trying to to navigate the space knowing that brokers are really busy and they have like real world problem like on the ground problems to solve so until we were able to align with what the on the ground problem was. And, and I'll tell you like the, it's, it's shifted since we started working with insurance two and a half years ago. Um, the on the ground problem. So, I, you know, you asked me earlier, like, what do I see from like a market forces perspective? Yeah. What I, what I'm noticing is whether you're a tiny agency or one of the big guys, you have this long tail, small commercial book that you, you know, you, you want to keep, it's worth you know money to you, but it's hard to prioritize and you want your people spending their time on what they do best, which is advising and being strategic, not on sending renewal emails to like small guys, not on like the, the micro upsells that might not like net out for you. So, yeah. you know, that's, I, 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 and the testament is just how much, how much more open companies are once I position things that way. Um, so I'll say like today, I think that problem exists of, I have this long tail, I like it. I, you know, I don't want to let it go. I, I think maybe the next Starbucks is in here somewhere, but I don't know which one, <laughs> right. you know? So like, yeah. so our, you know, that's why, you know, it took years, but we've honed in our value prop to be pretty specific because we feel like we can make the most, like you said it earlier. LTV is nebulous, right? What does LTV really mean? Like that's, you know, that's not a real thing. But, you know, at, in the context of small commercial, in the context of saving time and finding those gems so that you could, you know, focus on them more than the others, it does seemingly, uh, it does seem to be a huge issue today, actually, that agency owners are looking us all for. Well, so let's, uh, you know, let's get our feet on the ground on this thing. Uh, talk to me about how Relativity 6 solves yeah. this problem. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it, it's the same thing, right? So we're taking, like I mentioned earlier, like back at, back at MIT, like same concept of to do this right, we have to blend different data sources to make it make sense. 
So we look at internal transaction data. So like who, you know, who purchased what, when, and for how much, and what did they purchase? And we blend it with, like I said, about 6 billion, like the, the number doesn't matter, but a lot of external data points that try to help fill in the blanks that might not exist like with, with just internal data. So the way we work pretty simply is we, you know, we work with AMS data, we blend it with our huge repository of external small business data, let's say specifically in this case, we put it together. And then once we have that full picture, we can now very quickly understand not only like the business name and address, but a lot more about the industry of those clients, about any specific data points related to the, like not only the industry, but even like down to like the customer themselves. Uh, like we're really augmenting the way, like that barbershop example, right? So what is it? Is it a small little barbershop? Is it a big one? So we cut we, within the platform automatically augment the way that you look at your small business customers. And then the concept is to automate a lot of the outreach initially to take the headache away from, from, from the agency. So that again, like, you know, it's not going to automate everything, but at least like get some of those first motions out to not only automate renewal, but even like ping that small commercial book to see who has a propensity to purchase more and take as much of that off of the plate of the broker as we can. Again, it's not going to be a hundred percent, but the, like our, our, our hope is that we can free up a, a broker by 80% where that like they would normally be spending their time chasing after a small commercial so that they can use that time to be more or, valuable. Or not chasing at all, right? Or not chasing at all. Exactly. Or, 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 but exactly. or not or just not chasing and leaving it as it is. So um, when you say external data, okay. Yes. yes. Um, uh, help, help unfuzz the, uh, our understanding of what that might mean. hundred percent. Yeah, sure. So like, let's just go to that tangible barbershop example. We can look at things like first, like property data, right? Like we can start understanding, are they, are they small? Or are they big? You can even go to Google images, which is what we do sometimes. And, and look, like, is it a small storefront? Is it a big one? Is it in good shape or bad shape? Like, you know, we start even looking at those types of things through our technology. We, we can even look at like reviews, right? That, that helps a lot. Like just as an example, if it's a, if they have like three, two star reviews on Yelp, that's one thing. But if they have 500 five star reviews, like on Yelp or Google reviews or whatever, like that, that's another thing. So all of like th those are those are things. We also look at um, industry level data, so we're constantly looking at any external data related to any NACE code that exists, and we try to understand deltas in them. So is an industry growing, shrinking, neutral, and then we assign that back um, to the actual business. So it's it's interest industry level data. It's down to the customer level data. We add uh, weather, so a lot of weather event data is in there as well. And the concept of that is, you know, we've seen weather have a huge impact on purchasing decisions. So we, we overlay a lot of weather data, pricing data, right? So trying to understand like market appetite and pricing of certain products specifically within small commercial. So it's this, it's what it's called the data lake is what we have, which is like this big data repository. And what it is, it's it's constantly refreshing itself. So it's not static. It's not just sitting there. It's learning in time, not only on the external data side, but it's also seeing what's happening with the broker. How how good are they? 
at renewing or upselling and it's, it's adding that to the repository and it's kind of like this big knowledge base that we have at this point of uh, blending internal and external hopefully that makes yeah, sense okay. sorry sorry for the spiel yeah yeah, no, no, no. So, so I think, as, as I understand this, by blending the internal and the external data, you're able to deliver on a case-by-case -case basis some insight on uh, potential opportunities. And, and, and as I recall from seeing a demo of the product, um, I, I think, uh, is, are you also uh, predicting um, likelihood of retention or attrition as well? We are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We are. Okay. We are. Yeah, we we, and, we started. Sorry, go ahead, Michael. Well, and and but also actually, um, in some cases, suggesting uh, actual um, upsells or cross sells. Exactly. So you know, one anchor of the retention pro product is okay. If we have a feeling that they have a propensity to not renew this product, what what's an alternative, mm -hmm. right? So instead of losing it. What mm -hmm. else might make sense? So you know that that's a piece in there. But we think retention is important. Um, it's something that's kind of overlooked and uh, I guess taken for granted in many cases where a lot of agencies are kind of, it's look, it's not just agencies, it's every industry. They're comfortable with a certain level of churn, but why, you know, like, you know, we, we like, of course, you're always going to have churn, but why not reduce it by a few percentage points that could have a massive impact, especially on a it has a scale. massive impact. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a spreadsheet I'm happy to share with agents about how, how what what a, a tweak in retention can mean to their income over the next five or 10 years is, is stunning. OK, so. Uh, well, all right. So you've been swimming in this pool for two and a half years. You've got yeah. a, an understanding of some of the. Uh, some of the gaps, some of the problems, some of the deficiencies. Um, and of course, now you've worked with agents and brokers uh, yeah. over a period of time. Uh, if you were going to um, uh, join me here or knock me off my soapbox and have an opportunity to deliver a kind of a wake-up call or a message to the independent insurance agency system and the leaders of it, what is it that you would want to say? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um... Yeah, it's kind of just reiterating what I was saying before that like technology is good and can really be helpful and give you give agents an incredible advantage, competitive advantage. But be wary of like who you work with, how you set relationships up with your external vendors and like technology can be your friend, but it can also be your enemy, I guess is kind of like the highlight there and being thoughtful about how you interact and start creating new technology for yourself is crucial, but don't be scared of it. You know, I, I do feel like there's real value that can be generated from a lot of the deep technology that like a lot of startups and tech vendors have, Indeed. but it can, it can be yeah. your downfall too. So just, yeah. Uh, okay. So um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's, it is both a, a, an incredibly exciting time in the industry because of all the change. And it's also a remarkably um, oh confusing and sometimes chaotic time because people just aren't quite sure what to do and what to take seriously in times of turbulence. So exactly, uh, yeah. Well, word well word to the wise. I, I'll I'll echo what you're saying. Uh, technology is part of the job of uh, of of running an agency today, and um, uh, and and people need to learn to do it well. Right. I mean, that that's all. And it's probably and it's not and it's not you don't have to go to MIT to learn how to to purchase uh, to make wise or prudent 
technology decisions. That's right. Uh, you have to have, have to have a decent understanding of the problem you're trying to solve and um, a, a realistic assessment of the company, or the vendor's ability to solve that problem. Exactly. And, and a realistic assessment of what that solution could be, right? It's uh, not, it might yeah. not be the world, but if it gets you halfway like there, then that's a huge win, right? So it's like setting expectations, I think, is a, is a key one too. Okay. Um, Alan, if our listeners want to learn more about um, Relativity 6 or have questions, what should they do? Yeah. They can just shoot me an email, Alan, A-L-A-N, at Relativity 6, uh, the letter 6. Or sorry, not the letter 6. It's Friday <laughs> afternoon. Uh, I, I did go to MIT, but uh, it's the number 6, uh, Relativity6.com. Yeah. Um, and presumably uh, they could visit your website as well, which That's right. is relativity6.com. Right, good. That's it. That's it. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, Alan, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank um, you, Michael. And uh, what you're doing right now sounds a lot more exciting to me than um, a healthy candy bar. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, Appreciate no, I'm, uh, I'm excited about this, and I'll encourage people to take a look. Um, you're doing demos, or somebody in your company's doing demos. Anytime, anybody, anytime anybody wants to see a demo, uh, we're happy to do it. I'll bet you are. All right. <laughs> okay, Alan. <laughs> yeah. Take care. Yep. All right. Thanks Thank so you, much Mike. for joining us. Of course. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox. New episodes every Wednesday.